right, so uh, welcome everyone to Skits Up Podcast. So today, again, you get to hear my lovely voice and not Paul's because our fearless leaders could not make it today. However, we can make up for it because we have an awesome guest. So first of all, let's uh, let's first say hi to our gang of people. So first, uh, Darren, hello, say hi. How's it going, eh? Hey, awesome. I like that little hey, that Canadian hey at the end. <laughs> the good old Canadian A. Nice, nice. Now, Frank, say hi. Frank says hi. Awesome. All righty. And now to uh, introduce our awesome guest today, we have none other than Bert Kammerer, uh, owner of a whole bunch of uh, stuff um, <laughs> on, in, in the hobby. So hi, Bert. Hello, hello, hello. All right, awesome. So um, today we have, a, I think, that a very good show. Uh, Bert is always full of amazing stories. You've been, you know, like forever in the hobby, Bert. I mean, it's it's amazing how uh, you know certain people in the hobby. You know, I feel very fortunate to have you uh, with us again today because there are certain people uh, like you that have been like forever in the hobby, you know, and have like this ton of amazing stories have gone to almost pre-event that exists out there, both in the U.S. and internationally. So um, so I think that we're in good for a good time today. Now, uh, Bert, I would like to get started selfishly because you know that I'm, uh, I, you know, I don't like tattoos, but if I, if I did, I'd probably have an SAB tattoo on me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so selfishly, I'm going to start with that. Um, there's uh, two new models that okay. are coming up. So, okay. and... Fear not, Bert, because these, this, this, this podcast is probably going to be released two to three weeks from now, if we're lucky, <laughs> because we don't have a very, a very good release schedule. So don't worry about spilling the beans about something. Um, probably when you talk about it, it'll already be, uh, old news. So don't worry. You can, you can talk about, about, <laughs> about everything here. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so talk about us, uh, about the 420 and the new SAB, um, 580 raw nitro that are the two new models that are coming up right actually there's three but one is kind of like the same old thing just with the three blade head so to get the quote-unquote boring one out of the way which boring to me because i'm not a big fan of three blade you know there's a kraken s with the three blade rotor head until and until rotor and uh that's coming out which is basically again it's just a kraken s which already is out there on the market but they're Putting it together as out-of-the-box three-blade setup. So people that like three blades, they don't have to buy, you know, a Kraken S and then spend all the money in the main Intel rotor and all that kind of stuff. They just buy it like that. So there's that. And then there's the Raw Nitro 580. Um, and both of them are coming out um, end of June. Actually, we're starting pre-orders tonight as of this recording. So uh, at midnight, we're starting the pre-orders. So... Then there's the 420, which is not about spilling beans. It's just, there's really not a whole lot to say about it. What do you want to know? Uh, well, everything about it. It I've heard rumors that there's uh, that it's not actually a 420, but that it has new 430 blades. So I've heard a bit of rumors. Just wanted to get that out of the way. You know, what's the actual specs of, of that new one? The problem is three weeks from now is going to be still a long ways before it's released. So I really can't say a whole lot. All I can say is that it's actually, it, it is going to be kind of unique in the powertrain. It's a direct drive. 
I don't think that the blade size, to be honest with you, is 100% defined yet because I know that during the final testing, there's a lot of different things that are done, not only to see how the model flies, but only to see what's like possible in terms of manufacturing and, and mass quantities. And, you know, I mean, there's so many different things that not going to lie to you. It's not, and I, I'm, you know, I'm a straight shooter. It has nothing to do with me not wanting to share. It has to do with me not wanting to give people information that will more than likely not be accurate um, as it is released. You know what I mean? Because this is not yeah. going to be out till July. And uh, and SAB doesn't start full production until probably about four weeks prior to the release. Because um, it takes about two weeks for production. It takes about a week to 10 days to get it to distributors. And then it takes from there another five days to get to dealers. And then it goes out. So... They're really not going to start production for another 30 days. So they're at the at the peak of the testing. So a lot a lot can change between now and three weeks from now. You know what I mean? Right, so, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but cool. I didn't know that it was direct drive. I thought it was like, you know, like the previous model, basically a, a body stretch. But uh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, it's actually a direct drive. So... Um, it'll be interesting to see how it performs. I haven't had a chance to fly one, um, but hopefully soon. So maybe I will share with you guys, like, you know, at some other, you know, some other time in, in the next couple, two, three weeks. Um, but yeah, I'm not a fan of small stuff. I really, I honestly hate small helicopters. I really do. But this, amen, brother. Huh? Amen, brother. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know. I just never. I I mean, yeah. Back in the day, you know, I I got I got involved in a lot of small helicopter projects. I I used to love them back in the day. Like I I was flying a Hurricane Hurricane two hundred from uh, which the company that became Gowie later on, right? Like way back in like I don't know two thousand four, two thousand five. God, time passes. But uh, and then you know, I was uh, I was in college. <laughs> I was in my I was in my thirties then, dude. And uh and then uh and then when I when I worked for a line, I got involved very heavily in the development and the design of the two the T Rex original T Rex two fifty, you know, the Flybart T Rex two fifty. And I used to love them, but now it's like I don't know, they just don't this sounds weird. They don't satisfy me, man. They just right. I don't know. You know, I I, I like to I like to you know feel the 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 roar of the blades and i don't know i don't know and, and, and you know and the stability of the bigger machine for sure yeah yeah, yeah. And, i get it i get it i get it I, I although i do have to admit i have a, um uh, a 420 body i guess you could say so it was it was originally a 420 but then i changed the parts of all the fronts to convert it to to a body frame and uh it it flies fantastic. It, it's probably one of my my favorite helis right now. It just needs an ESC. Uh, I sold the ESC, so I'm just um, trying to save up to just put an ESC because I mean that thing, that thing flies really really well. I don't know what they did. You know, of course, you know they changed the the center of gravity. You know the small changes that they did on the body, but it really feels amazing. I mean, it, it's 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 hard to decide which of 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 uh, you know being even even being so small, it's hard to decide between you know my three helis, the five seventy or the five hundred, which one flies better because that little thing just flies so well. I'm I'm really impressed by that little guy. 
Yeah. yeah, the body the body always flew really good, which I I agree with you. I think the body flew better than the the original like 380, without a doubt. Yeah, and then like if you stretched it, I'm sure it's even even more stable. So it's probably a little even a little better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because I've I've heard Bert right, at times at events says, "Yeah, I don't want to find anything smaller than a, than a 700, right?" But I remember. At like two in the morning at my first event, you know, this was way what five years ago. Uh, Bert came came to the event and brought Susie and Kyle and everybody, up. and we were in his trailer talking and just bullshitting for a couple hours. And I get the idea like two in the morning. Hey, Bert, look, man, I got a fifty size nitro. Will you go fly under the lights? And I seen Bert fly a lot. I mean, a lot of it, all his videos, a bunch of times at events. But that was the best flight I've ever seen you put down. That was <laughs> the, I always probably yeah. I was like, man, the best flight that ever that Bert ever did. No one will ever know about it except for me and Steve Yoon. You want and everybody you, was. You want me to be honest? Why that was a good flight? <laughs> yeah, because it was not my helicopter. <laughs> because it was your helicopter. Yeah, I remember it was my little N five five six, and the irony of it that that entire weekend we were messing with Ron. And then Bert was saying, it's like, man, Frank's flying in, uh, in synergy. He's on the team. What the hell's going on? And Bert, and Ron's like, are you really doing that? Are you doing that in front of Bert? I'm like, no, man, it's a joke. We're messing with you. But it was a good time for sure. Yeah, yeah we had we had a great time. That was an that I you know what? No, no offense, because you've you, I don't mean this in a bad way, but because that event was so small. I mean, granted, it was your first event. I mean, you you've done yeah. a hell, crazy hell of a job you know, growing the event from what it was then to what it was this year. Right. But yeah. the small events, men are always a lot of fun because this is more one-on-one, you, you know, you get to hang with almost mm-hmm. everybody that's there. Right. When it's a big event and like people get, you know, everybody's doing their thing and it's just, it's not as personable, you know? And, oh, and, for sure, for sure. and this, this coming from me, I mean, I run the blow, the Orlando helicopter blowout and that, that event was so big that it got to the point where I was like, no, I, it's better to make it small again. Make it, make it, uh, you know, more, more enjoyable for everybody. Because then it just everything becomes too uh, convoluted, too much. It, it, you know, it, it loses its the essence of what the camaraderie of hanging with each other is all about while being at an event. That's how I feel. For like. sure. Yeah. No, for sure. And even, even you know, at, at its current state right now, you know, the winter bash, it's all great and fine, but. I still remember the Sunday fun day where everybody would start leaving and it was just like three or four people hanging out flying. That's when I had the most fun, you know. For sure. No doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. We yeah. get pizza at that, that place down the street from the from Torches. I always forget the name of it, but it's always so good. It's like good like bar pizza. Yeah, the sub shack. The, the sub shack. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. That's, you know, back in the day, it. like um, when we used to go to Urcha, and Urcha was huge. You're talking, I think, at the peak, 12, 1,300 pilots. I don't know how many pilots. They uh, There was this group of people that we used to like to stay for Sunday because Sunday there were like, I don't know, maybe maybe 150, maybe 100 to 150 pilots. But, you know, mm-hmm. Urcha is so massively huge, like the, you know, the field, the, the AMA site that – 150 mm-hmm. pilots. It felt like it felt like an event with 20 pilots, right? 
And, uh, yeah. and, and we had a, a, we, that's when we got to enjoy it and fly and hang out. And there was a group of people like Gator and Bobby Watts and, and, you know, that we would just stay Sunday just to hang out and fly, you know? So, yeah, but not to, you know, undermine, you know, the big days at Urch. I mean, they're fun, but it's just, a, it's a different kind of fun, right? It's like a different, uh, it's a different atmosphere when there's that many people. Yeah. On. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And you're, you know, it's funny because most people go to Urchard to have fun, you know, now, you know, at this time it's no longer, it's like, I got to, I, I had fun last year, but I knew I had a job to do. And I had to, you know, play the role and be, and, you know, be respectful of people and not just hog up a, a flight ride all day. Like I've done before in other events, you know, where I just keep bagging out flights. Plus with all the demos and stuff, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a lot of fun, but it's different than, you know, what, what it was like before being involved with any other companies or anything like that. And that has to be, that has to work. That has to put a toll on some people, especially you, Bert. You've been doing this for so long, you know, like, is it, is it, is it even fun anymore for you when you go to events where you're, where you're constantly having to be on the mic and you're having, having to do things, you know, well, and you want to, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And this is why, this is why, this is, maybe this is why I'm so biased towards small events. There are events where I really enjoy going to because I can do things at my own pace. And, you know, of course, I want to, you know, I'm in the business, right? So, of course, I want to promote my business and I want to grow the company and grow the brands and promote the brands. But on the other hand, I also want to have fun because there's really not a lot of money to be made in the hobby business. I mean, you know, people might think, oh, you know, these guys are making all this money. No, we're not. We're doing this because we, <laughs> we're doing this because we love it, you know? Yeah. And um and I come from an IT background. I mean, I I know you're an IT Javier. I was I was like I worked for a company that was the the first consulting company that had all the CNAs uh, programming Cisco routers and creating BGP route routing tables when the internet was in diapers and we we're getting paid 500 bucks an hour an hour. Um right. I mean these were like I'm talking 1996, 97, 98, 99. Like I mean, I you know I was used to like making a, a really good amount of money, but with a, a tremendous amount of stress, you know, attached to it, and and a big loss of freedom because I had to travel everywhere. And so I, when I fell in love with the hobby, you know, for the second time when I got into helis very heavily in the early 2000s, I I slowly started to get away from my tea and get into this, but you know, I also had to take, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough and smart enough to, to stash a little bit of money away and, and, you know, make a decent life for myself. But as far as my regular income from the hobby, it's, is nothing, it's not even remotely comparable to what my income was back in my, in my IT days. So we, we do this for, for the passion of the hobby. So I try to separate the business from, from the hobby. Right. And, it's extremely hard to do because, as you know, Frank, like, you, you know, uh, I'll go to a flying field and people start asking me questions when this is coming out. What's going to happen <laughs> with that? How do you fix this or what? You know, was there an issue with this helicopter? Why is this doing that to me? So it's hard to separate. But I always try to separate it because I think of it more as me as Bert, the pilot, and not me as Bert, the business owner. Right. So like anything that comes to like orders and issues with like the website, for example, or inventory and things of that nature and financial issues or, you know, payment this or that, like anything that's strictly business related, I try not to in any way, shape or form think about or deal with 
while I go to these events. Otherwise, I would be so burned out, I wouldn't want to go anywhere. But going back to what you asked, that's why I like the smaller events, because when you go to Urcha, Urcha, for example, is a different animal. You, you, you know, you have to have a, 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 you know, if you're a sponsor, you have to man a tent or a booth and you have to, mm-hmm. you know, make sure your pilots are ready for the demos and you have to, you know, do enough pictures, videos, whatever it takes for social media. And you might be thrown into doing a podcast live while you're there because we've done it in the past. <laughs> and, you, you know, you have all these all these activities. And at the end of the day, you realize, wow, like what happened? Where did they go? You know, I remember uh, big urchas like the first year that SAB was in the United States. <clears throat> we went out there and and the owners of SAB went crazy and they rented a Lamborghini and we had this freaking Lamborghini inside this tent. And and we were, you know, doing all this stuff and pictures and demos and this and that. And then and then it got to the point when we started BK Designs and BK Hobbies. I was going there to sell product and I was selling essay like we would bring the whole shebang and bring kits and bring parts and bring servos and and we would just get up in the morning at 7 a.m. go to the tent have like five to ten people help us set up the tent because we had to you know store everything away in a trailer at night of course and set the whole tent up all ready to go for selling product all day and just man this tent all day long and and then I would leave Susie or whomever a team pilot at the time was willing to help like behind manning the tent while I went to, you know, do a demo or do this or do that. And it was just like that all day long. And we never even enjoyed it or had any fun. I'm not lying. We had no fun. We had fun at night after we shut down the tent and then we could go have some drinks, go have dinner, you know, do whatever, you know, watch the night fly or whatever. But even then we at some point we were sponsoring the fireworks show and we had to be there like you know flying as well and doing this and setting this up and like it was it was work it wasn't i mean we had fun doing it we were all together with a bunch of friends sure but it was work it wasn't just go and relax and do whatever you want type of thing you know so yeah so it's a little different it's just it feels different right you know that frank you yeah you've you've been living it yeah, for the, the last while so you know it, it's funny because when I, you know, you got, I was been around with you guys for a while now. And I always, you know, I, I, you taught me a lot in the hobby business and, you know, all this, even after I left SAB and everything like that, you guys have, you've always been kind of like the godfather over here, kind of, Hey, asshole, don't do this shit. Or, you know, not in those terms, but you, you, you've corrected me a few times on the things that I've done wrong, but it is, it is work. It's a responsibility. It's not like, you know, I, I just came back from a phone fly in the middle of Texas and, even though it was a small fun fly and I had a lot of fun, there was still, you know, I had to ask, talk to people, you know, answer the questions, you know, they had issues. So I would sit there with it, try to troubleshoot them with it for a while. But yeah, it's fun, but it's still, it's, it's a different kind of fun. It's not the same fun that it was when I first started flying. It's very different. It, it changes. It changes you. When you get involved, yeah. when you get involved in the hobby uh, and in any kind of way other than, it being strictly a hobby, it changes for you. I mean, even before we started um, our current business and I was um, flying for SAB and I was more than flying, I was kind of like on payroll, helping with a lot of stuff. I was technically an employee of SAB from from its inception, the SAB heli division, which started in 
late 2011. From that point until like, I would say the spring of 15, when I left them in that capacity, it was, it was, even though it wasn't my business and I wasn't working per se in the business side of the hobby, it was work and it kind of changed. It changes your perspective on things, right? It, it's like, it makes it, it's still fun, like you said, but it's, it's just, it's, it's different. It's not, not quite the same. And it's hard to explain. So, but it is what it is. That makes me question then too. Like, do you actually still ever get a chance to fly for fun? I fly, believe it or not. Um, I went through a period where I was, I, well, I've done this many times, uh, you know, in the last freaking two decades, but I go through periods where I have zero interest in flying and I'm, I'm not, not afraid to admit that like zero, like I could care less. I could go three, four months without even caring about a helicopter. And I think it's self protection mode i don't know what to call it it's hard, but it's it's kind of weird because then i'll do that and then all of a sudden i don't know a month sometimes it's two weeks sometimes it's three months uh i'll just feel really like really eager and feel a lot of enthusiasm towards going to the flying field and flying so what i do is i i i go to torches you know my local field and i and I'm not going to deny the fact that I try to go there usually during the week um, when there's nobody around so I can get the time and peace to go and fly. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I go on weekends, too. And, and you know, we do club meetings and we do club meetings yeah. and we'll do all kinds of stuff. And But, you know, when I go on the weekends, it's not that I don't like to help people. I love helping people. I mean, I, I wouldn't be where I am without the help of a lot of people. But... But, you know, when I go by, by myself during the week or I'll just go with a friend or, you know, like Manny, you know, we get together and go or something, Manny needs or something, you know, we just hang out and fly, you know, and you just fly and you come back, you you shoot the shit and then you put the batteries on charge and you go and fly again and again. And that's that's a lot of that's just a relaxing type of fun. Right. Whereas on the weekends. You know, usually I find myself more like helping people and spending my time with others, which is fine. It's but but again, it's not. If I want to fly, that's not when I. That's not the time for me to try to go and fly. You, you know what I mean? Like if I really wanted to fly and, and put in like ten flights, there's no way I can do that on like a Sunday at the field. It's it's I could, but it's just it's a little different because I end up because I like helping people and then and and I'm really I've always been very curious about what people are flying, their setups, how they're doing things, and like I I like to get involved with that. And then next thing I know. I spent an hour and a half with somebody trying to like figure out what's wrong with their stuff or this or that. And then it, it just takes away from me like being selfish to myself and saying, Hey, I just want to go and fly, you know? So, yeah. See, I'm actually a ham radio operator as well. And for yeah. a number of years, I actually worked in the commercial two way radio industry and I found it was felt like it was getting too much work, radio at work, radio at home, radio at work, radio at home, radio at work, radio at home. And I just couldn't get away from all that stuff. And so that's why I sort of ask a question like that, because I can see I for me, I quite literally lost a lot of my enjoyment in my ham radio stuff. And I still, you know, now I'm not in that industry anymore. And so I, I am getting back into it again slowly, but I'm nowhere near where I was. And so that's why I sort of ask, because I, I always sort of, 
very much appreciate guys like you too that are doing who have taken their hobby and turned it into a business and it makes me really wonder just how much you actually still enjoy the flying kind of aspect of the whole thing as well like do you actually lose some of that enjoyment out of the whole thing as well i i I love i love flying still to this day i lately believe it or not because you know i used to do a lot of technical maneuvers and i used to go to competition i'm talking 15 years ago and then i gave up on that and kind of became this quote-unquote demo pilot for sab and just traveled everywhere just doing demos and doing nothing but the same repetitive smackdown type of stuff you know and i became accustomed to just being lazy in the sense of just using muscle memory and not really getting out of my comfort zone to try new stuff right or not even getting out of my comfort zone like give you an example like it's basic example i would do rolling circles you know three feet off the ground right like ripping well when i was doing a demo i didn't like to do that stuff because yeah it's never nerve-wracking and like you know i was afraid that it wouldn't look so precise and this and that so i stopped doing certain maneuvers a lot of maneuvers just to do my comfortable thing so i could do it lower and faster and harder well, I stopped doing them for long enough that now they don't feel very comfortable anymore. So I've been enjoying for the last uh, probably about last four to six months. I would say since probably since December, I really got this this uh, this sort of like kick that, you know, I want to kind of start doing that stuff. So I, I take my helicopter, I, I start flying at, at 2,000 instead of 2,500, 2,600. And, and, uh, and, you know, and I, yeah, and I, and I start doing, you know, rolling circles and big bends and pirouetting globes and, and, and technical stuff that I used to could do very well and that I stopped doing and it feels very uncomfortable, but I'm starting to, again, get the fuel for it. But, you know, things are not the same either because you guys are – I know you're going to give me shit, but age does not help because, you know, the eyesight is not the same and the reflexes are a little different. But I still could do it. I don't know that I could do it very far, fast and aggressive like right on the deck, but uh, but I'm having a lot of fun doing it. And I, that's what I've always told people like that ask me, like, what would it take? I'm like, don't worry about it. Like, who cares? It's all about It's all about you and having fun. If you're having fun, if you're not progressing – I hate to be rude about it, but maybe you don't have it in you. Maybe you're not putting enough time. Who cares? It doesn't matter if you're progressing or not progressing. What matters is that you're enjoying the hobby because, after all, it should be a hobby. It should be an enjoyable hobby. Yeah, and, you know, you you talk about something like that, too, and I sort of think because I've been in the hobby for around 15, 16 years, something like that as well, and I've seen so many people just come in and, and they push and push and push and push and push and they learn everything and then they just disappear. Yeah. And I think what you say is yeah. right is you got to just enjoy it. Just sit back. Don't try and push yourself too much, but you know, you can still push yourself, but not too much and enjoy it. Just have some fun with it. The, the two, the two pump chump, I call it, uh, two years, 20 grand in and out. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's so true that I have seen, Sorry, am I lying there? No, I agree. And I have seen it to where I've seen it every I've seen it like from all perspectives, like I've seen very well known, like not I wouldn't say very well known, but like very, very good pilots that are up and coming that are actually in some cases well known that just one day mm-hmm. vanish and disappear. Yeah, they just it get, burns them out or they went too hard or, you know, 
you know, I have a friend that flies you guys probably, Darren, I probably, you heard him in Bert, you probably met him already. Ernie Garcia, I call him Captain Weekend. He, plays, uh, yep. he does the, the Cuban accent really good, and it's hilarious. And I oh, of course. Like, he, he's down there by you, of course. Yeah, yeah. Good friend of mine. And I always tell him, I was like, dude, you're going so intense, dude. You're like, if you don't get a maneuver, you're going to drive the helicopter. Yes, Frank, that's the way it is. It's just so intense. Just so like, <laughs> just like he can't control himself. It's just like, I'm going to fuck. Either this is going to happen beautifully or I'm going to fuck something up. And mm-hmm. I nicknamed him Captain Weekit because he just he crashes more in one month than I do in a year. But he's always trying to improve himself. He's always trying to be on top of it. I'm like, dude, you're either going to run out of money or you're going to run out, or you're going to get very frustrated. So, yes, slow down, take it easy, man. You got you're good. You're a good pilot. Of course, we have to remember Bert kind of makes his living off of people like that too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But um, you know. There are a lot of people that push like that. We have a team pilot, you know, Kerry Brooks. And, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, for the amount of time that that guy's been flying, he's incredible. But let me yeah. tell you, he puts him in all the time. But, you know, you, I've always been a big believer that I've always told people, what does it take to get better? What it takes is getting out of your comfort zone. And the more you get out of your comfort zone, the more the uncomfortable will start to feel comfortable, right? But but to get there, you have to either be lucky or have deep pockets because it doesn't happen for free. Let me tell you, you're gonna you're gonna put it in, no question about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But you know, I have you, you know, I have friends that you know you're talking about hobby and business and this and that. You know, yeah, I've had a lot of hobbies in my life. I still do. You know, I like to ride motorcycles. I like to shoot guns. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always been into boats and boating. I have all these hobbies and I've I've met people, you know, throughout, you know, my life that either have worked in one of those industries or have made those industries their work, right? And and it has the same effect. It has the same effect that it yeah. does in, in RC helicopters, you know. Uh, you know, a friend of mine was, uh, you know, liked to go riding bikes all the time and we get together, go ride. He started a motorcycle business doing upgrades, this and that. And now he doesn't even care to go ride anymore. <clears throat> you know, not, another guy I know that's a, a very, very well-known boat mechanic, you know, doesn't even take his own boat out anymore. He doesn't care. Like, I think that happens. You know, you if you overdo, if mm-hmm. it becomes a job and you don't know how to balance that job with the hobby side of it, you can burn yourself out of the hobby side of that industry and 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 pretty much be miserable, you know. So you just got to kind of like know how to balance it a little bit. Yeah, and I think that's always the the catch, right? Is some people have do struggle with balancing that as well, right? Yeah, it's 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 a big catch for sure. It's a big it's it's tough to do it. It's very hard to do it. You have to, yeah. It you know I feel like. If if your hobby is your business, you always have to have another hobby to have an escape, and and that for sure, and 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 that's what makes you come back wanting more, right? Because you know when I feel burned out, you know I take my wife and the dog, and we go out on the boat, and we spent three days on the boat, and then when I come back, I start thinking, you know, screw the boat, I don't want to, I don't want to come back next week, and I want to go to the flying field, and, and it's a true story, it does happen. But if I go to the flying field every weekend after weekend number three, it's like, okay, I'm done. And then I reach a, a point where I just don't even want to go for two months or something. Because, you know, it, it's it's the Monday through Friday. 
you know, dealing with the business and then a Saturday, Sunday at the field or an event. And it just, it, and it repeats and it becomes this 24 seven deal where you sleep it, you breathe it, you dream it, you eat it. And that's all you do. And, and it takes a toll on your psyche. And then you just, all of a sudden just, you get so saturated that you just, you want to be done. But if you take a break, you know, I don't know. And, and, and anything that recreates, that takes your mind away from helis, then all of a sudden you're like, yep, I want to, I want to fly again. You know, it, it doesn't even take long. It happens very quickly. But you need those casual, you know, once every other week, once every three week break to, to kind of get you back in the mindset. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, especially after coming back from a big event or something like that. You're, 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 I would say I'm done. I'm just cooked after like coming back from RCHO or Urch or anything like that. I'm just like, I need a weekend off from this where I just stay home and watch sports or movies or whatever you know see that happens to but, me it, that sorry to interrupt you frank but that happens to me now that back in the day dude i would come back from an event and mondays were miserable i i called them the event oh yeah dude the, i hate it the event blues because uh coming back from the event it's like no i want the event to go on can it not can they not do it for like a week straight <laughs> I could, yeah really i think about that all the time because when i'm at the event i'm energized i'm pumped i'm excited and then i'm like oh freak i have to drive back 12 16 hours oh that's gonna suck and the whole time i'm driving back i was like man i, was, I wish i would have stayed an extra day so i could have fly with those guys some more or i wish i would have done this uh, so there's there's that you know, but you got to pay the bills. You got to be at work by Monday, so that's it's uh, ironing out, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. <laughs> it, it, I called it the fun fly, the fun fly blues, man. It's like you kind of felt a little <laughs> depressed because it was done, you know. Now it's like, no, I'm I, I'm ready to go home. I need a break, kind of thing. It's like you know, it it changes. It's just hard to describe. It's like a different. It's almost like a different experience every time, every, every event, every, you know, every year, every, it's always different to me. So, mm -hmm. but yeah. anyway, so how does it feel Frank to, uh, to be involved the way you are right now compared to what it was before? I tell you what, man, I remember, I remember us two having a conversation like the second or third, uh, winter event, the winter event that I went up there and I was, and we were talking about it and you were giving me some advice on things to do to, you know, be better at flying. You actually were at the flight line. And, and he told me, he's like, Frank, enjoy this because when things start getting more serious, this won't be as fun. And it was you teaching me how to do hurricanes at the field. Just like when you did the, your smack talk and stuff like that. You were just saying, hey, stay consistent, hold on to it, you know, be ready, you know, give yourself a back uh, a backup plan in case something happens, you can get yourself out of it, you know, and drive your machine in. Yeah, bell up. And yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and it was, it was. I still use that advice today, you know, on anything I try. But it's, it's definitely, it's challenging, you know. You, you have, you know, you have bosses that are overseas that tell you that they want to see you do certain things, and then you agree with some, you disagree with the others. But you know, you still have to do what you're asked to do. You know, it's part of the, part of the whole deal. But I like it. I like it. I, I like uh, seeing guys on the team, you know, grow and develop. That's always very interesting to me. And you see the guys that really are into it, that put the effort in, and they're just like their gut hole. Like they're just like their their energy is pretty intoxicating almost, you know. And then you see the guys that are that are really good, but you know they don't need, they don't feel like they have to put the effort in to keep going. Yeah, yeah. So 
Yeah, it's uh, it's quite interesting. The hobby is unique for sure, to say the least. So, so hey, so I want to talk to you a little bit. We've been talking about the business a lot, but I want to talk about your business specifically, right? Because you've been doing this how long? How, what is it, where are we at now? The fifth year or sixth year of uh, BK Hobbies? Well, we started BK Designs uh, yeah. back in 2013. So this is our ninth year. Um, awesome. But, but back then, we were only doing uh, BK Servo. And then a year or two later, we started doing Switchblades. And then a year later, we became distributors for Spartan RC, which obviously went out of business like a while back, unfortunately. But um, yeah. But then after we were doing these things, then we got approached by SAB to see if they wanted to know if we wanted to become the distributor for the U.S. And then we took over that. And we always focused in the beginning on distribution. So, you know, we would sell to the big dealers like in Maine, Heli Direct. And, you know, back in the day, there were got upwards of three dozen, maybe even more, 40, 50 dealers that we sold to. Things have shrunk down. It's not that many anymore. But, um, <clears throat> but we... We, uh, you know, at some point, I think it was, I forgot, but I think it could have been 2017 or 18, one of those two years, um, Gator got laid off. And, uh, you know, my friend, Michael Gator, he got laid off from work. And, uh, and I said, hey, man, you know, I can't afford to pay you anywhere near what you make, you were making with your previous job. But if you want to come and help, you know, uh, trying to grow the business with, uh, you know, because Gator is a great salesman and he could call the dealers yeah. and, and keep up with them and make sure that they were happy and they were getting the product they needed. So Gator came and helped me for, I don't know, he, he found a really good job, which he still works there. But um, uh, right up until that time, he came and helped and he worked with us for, I don't know, about six months. And, um, and towards the end of him being here right as he was getting his new job he said you know you should start focusing more on retail and you know i knew this all along he's like you know look at your margins when you sell to a dealer you don't make hardly anything when you sell retail you make a little bit more money so and obviously i knew this all along i mean that's a no-brainer but um as a distributor i always really try to be careful not to upset the dealers and not to become their own competitor right um but, you know, with the changes, you know, the hobby's changed so much in the last so many years that it came to that point where, like, if we don't increase our revenue or not our revenue, but our profits, you know, we're not going to stay in business for long. So that's when we decided to start BK Hobbies, you know, a little bit more, a little bit better of a name than BK Designs. I mean, the whole BK Designs wasn't even thought of like it wasn't even supposed to be a name that people knew about. It was just the legal name of our business in the state of Florida. That was it. Cause we, op you know, we, we sold the product under BK servo or switch plates or whatever. Um, BK, mm -hmm. BK servo wasn't even a plan name either. I didn't want my initials on anything. That was the stupidest thing in the world, but, but, it, that, but that was that BK servo was a different topic. I'm not going to bore you with, but that happened by accident and it happened very quickly. And it was like, Oh yeah, I used that name. And then we used the name, but, uh, but anyway, so we started BK Hobbies, I think it was 17 or 8, but probably 18. I don't remember. Maybe late 17, something like that. So five years of our retail retail operation. And uh, and then, you know, we've tried to grow it and bring in other brands and, and this and that. And we, we're thinking of more brands here within the next three to six months as well. So it's a, it's a slow work in progress. But um, 
So far, so good. So far, so good. That's awesome. That's awesome. So not to, I know you don't want to talk about the circles, right? But I remember the DS 7002s and those, I had them on all my helicopters. And at the time, I think I had like 10 Goblin helicopters and they were on all of them and they were such a good circle. And we know when the whole COVID, sh- COVID shit went down and you weren't able to get it made anymore, that was a sad day for the hobby because those were great servos and the cycling was just awesome. Just so much power, so much fun to fly. I still have 7002s in my uh, Logo 690. In fact, I finally really? had one fail on me just uh, just on my last crash, actually. The first one, I finally had one fail on me. So and, uh, the, no the, fault of the servo. So the 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 thing with the servos was, to be honest with you, I wanted to have a servo that would offer very high performance for a very low price, and you know it's no secret that as you start to, and I'm not bashing anything, I'm not trying to say anything negative about any servo out there, but believe me, I I have I have worked i have done a lot of research on servos and tested a lot of servos and most servos on the market today are dogs most of them are dogs and i'm not saying this in a bad way the way the reason why and what i mean by dogs is say they just don't feel they just don't feel like they have that response that instant response that make you feel connected to the servos and and the reason why they do it that way is as simple as they want to increase durability the more you increase the current consumption of the servo the acceleration of the servo and the pi settings basically the control loop on the mo- like on on the board the faster that servo will eventually fail the sooner the sooner it will fail mm-hmm. and okay. i wanted a servo that pushed those parameters to the limit at the lowest possible price now those two don't work very well together <laughs> because okay. because not when, surprised yeah because when you start pushing the limit you need very high-end components to increase the durability and it's very difficult to get very very high-end components with a servo that retails for 90 dollars right 7001 was 90 dollars yeah. 7002 was 100 so so we had a compromise on some parts that I wouldn't say were not good, but they weren't as good as they could have been. And we had to do it in order to be able to sell them for that price. Now, with that said, um, I think durability-wise, they were okay. They were failures. We had like a 1.5, mm-hmm. 1 to 1.5% failure rate, which is higher, a little bit higher than Futaba, by, by, of course. Um, but it's it, and it may be a little higher than some others, but but not by not by a lot. But when COVID hit, everything changed because um, some of the factories we dealt with got shut down because some people passed away, and it was this big disaster. And then all of a sudden, as we try to find new vendors for certain components on the servo, the prices skyrocketed, and the minimum order quantity skyrocketed. Like. We were asked. Really? We were asked to buy ten thousand motors at a time instead of a thousand motors at a time. You know, and and it was, and, and yeah, it was. You know, it was either investing a quarter of a million dollars or or letting it die, and we just had no choice but to do the latter because it, there would have been absolutely no return on investment to 
have dropped that kind of money into trying to revive the brand at that point in time, right? And, and especially with the uncertainties of, you know, what was going to happen in the economy. And, and it, I mean, there were so many uncertainties. It was just something that it, it, it was just not, I, I did not feel comfortable. I didn't have the liquid cash to do it at the time. And it wasn't, it, it was way too risky. Um, so uh, very sadly, we had to kind of, you know, we kept fighting and trying and, and trying to reach out to vendors and this and that. And it just, it we just could not make it work. Um, not the way that it worked before. So it is what it is. But, uh, you know, it had its its good run. And, you know, we still we still try to support customers that own the servos. Um, if customers need gears, they're not advertised on the website. But if they get a hold of us through our support system. Um, so, oh, oh, that's yeah, awesome, man. Yeah, we, we yeah, still have cool. gears. We, we're running out of some. You know, we don't have them for sale because we want the customer to reach out to us. We want we're we're giving priority to customers that have servos that that are not like so old, right? So like you know, if you have a seven thousand one from you know two thousand uh, you, you know fifteen, well, I'm sorry, you know, I I I I don't have gears for you, but I I will give you a hell of a deal on a new set of BK servos or, an, or a set of Theta servos or or something yeah. like that, you know. But but you know if if your servos are less than something reasonable uh, and you know we use judgment and criteria you know for a lot of these cases for the most part we will we will actually send the customer gears for free if we have them in stock we'll we'll ask them to pay for the shipping so you know we we try to support you know the customers that trust it in the business I know it's a it's a very difficult it's a very difficult situation you know for us that you know we had to. We had to let the brand, not the brand, but the line, the line, the, the the previous line go. And now we're trying to rebuild. But, you know, the world is different now, man. Everything is harder and more difficult to do. Very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, there's also a lot more demand, I think, on, on certain things. You know, people want features, you know. And oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Let's take a second and talk about Theta Circles, right? Because this is Mr. BK Hobbies himself. You know, and he, you know, he, there's a lot of, several brands out there that you could have gone after and you could have done business with. And they would have most likely been, you know, why did you choose data? And I say, cause I have, I had a set of sets of data and I loved them, but I wanted to hear your opinion on them. So, As someone who's done extensive research on servos, who's been in the hobby forever in a day that knows, that knows where the bodies are buried. Well, it all started because, it, you know, as I, it just, kind of explained, you know, the whole situation with BK Servo and stuff. I was looking for a brand that kind of like uh, a brand that I had that I could believe in, that I knew had a, a, a solid product and th that I would want to latch on and represent and and support. And, you know, like you said, I've, I've been exposed to a lot of brands and dealt with a lot of brands. But, you know, when this thing came out, you know, started to gain popularity, I really started to take a closer look. I've been looking at these servos since October of last year. So, I mean, that was like, really, yeah, this has been like a four or five month process. But obviously what caught my attention, I'm not going to lie, is the fact that they're programmable, right? So that, so that, that's yeah. what caught my attention, but that's not what made me, you know, that's, that's not what made me ask them or try to make me motivated to actually work with them. What motivated me mm -hmm. is that not only they were programmable, but I know their manufacturing manufacturing process is is as high end as the highest end of servos out there. So, 
in terms of reliability, um, in terms of reliability, they are going to be as reliable as the best of the best servo there is. And and one thing I like about it is not just the the quality of the components, but also the fact that it, it, talking about servos being do- a dog, theta servos. This is going to sound horrible. For most people, it's okay. For somebody like Kyle Stacy, when he puts a brand new set of Theta servos in his helicopter without touching the programming, they're going to feel like, they're going to feel like a dog. They really will. Um, and 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 I like that. I really do because because with BK Servo, I wanted a servo that was you know gave you the best, most connected feel out of the box. But again, we're going back to reliability, durability, right? So if yep. if you can go in there and change it and make it responsive and make it feel the way you want it to feel, then okay, then you know you're going to shorten the life of the servo. You, you know for a fact you will. You know, is it mm-hmm. can can you define a number? Can you say servo is going to last five thousand flights in stock form and only a thousand, uh, you know, modified? You don't. We don't know, but we know that mm-hmm. the the durability the 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 durability of the servo will be decreased when you when you change these parameters to make it more responsive, accelerate faster, and do all these things to give you that more connected feel. But you have the ability to do it. And for most people that don't care, don't know the difference, or don't want to deal with it, then they have a, an extremely long-lasting, ultra-reliable servo. So to me, those things were like, okay, I can make this thing kick ass, be like b- the best feeling servo I've ever flown, or I can just put it on my uh, Genesis 800 that I like to fly around and do big loops and, and, and circuits and not care about how it really feels doing 3D. And I know it's going to last forever. So, you know, looking at, at the, all those options and, and everything else that the the company had to offer and, and the guys behind the company, it was like a no-brainer. So, and, and I, I'm, I'm happy because... Uh, you know we have a good relationship, and they and 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 I, so far I'm stoked with the quality of the product and, and the feedback we've been getting with the product, and yeah, it's great, it's great. And and you've flown them, Frank, right? Yeah, they're 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 solid. They're solid. Servos. Yeah. What I love is like I can set the the centering, you know, because sometimes with the servo horn you don't get the like that dead nut centering that you want, you know, and then you don't have to go into your fly barless and mess with it, you know. And especially with the tail, especially with the tail, because you can you cannot yeah. center the tail on a, on a neo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that really was nice. That was a really nice because then you could get those numbers to be hundred, hundred on the on the nut. You know, and that's always makes for a better flying machine. I don't care what you say. Good mechanical setup will outperform any any uh, any electronic uh, tuning that you can do. You know, if you yeah. get the mechanical right, it's going to fly so much better. And, but yeah, they're great servos. I, I flew them for a while. You know, uh, I have, um, man, I forgot. Sudong is the owner, right? Yeah, Sudong is the, the, yeah, the, the, the guy behind the server, like the, the technical yeah. owner and, and lead, lead designer engineer. He's, he's a super, yeah, yeah. super smart guy. Yeah. 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 He's brilliant. And then, you know, you got Ting. 
you know, he was kind of the guy who kind of helped him bring him into the United States, and he's an awesome pilot, you know. Uh, yeah, he's, he got me involved using him because of that, because he was on one of my teams. Uh, great dude, great pilot. Fun guy to be around with, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so you're also the the, the distributor for XNOVA, right? Yeah, we have a co-partnership with A-Main Hobbies on the XNOVA deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we've been sharing it with A-Main since the beginning of the XNOVA USA endeavor. And, uh, and but I don't know what A-Main is doing. I think A-Main has a lot of their own, you know, A-Main is huge and they have their own dealer network. Mm-hmm. But we, we mainly sell XNOVA to most of the, I guess, well-known dealers, at least on this side of the, this side of the U.S. I think A-Main is dealing yeah. more with the guys out west and and so forth so yeah for sure yeah yeah and you've been flying them yourself for a long time too haven't you right yeah that's the since past the outrage days right you flew you flew those back you flew those motors right yeah i was on the i was on the scorpion team for a lot of years and uh and you know George Van Gansen the owner of scorpion and i had a really good relationship and when i started flying sab Back in late 2011, SAB was experimenting with like this quantum motor, which was actually like a a cheap rebrand of Xnova. Like it was made with cheaper components. Kind of like the BK Servo of Xnova, I guess you can say. But uh, but, so I had a conversation with George and I said, hey, you know, I, you know, SAB is asking me to fly these motors and this and that. And like, I don't want to be disrespectful to you because I'm on your team. And like, and he was totally cool. He's like, no, you fly my, my stuff when you can. And when you can't, you can't. And uh, so I kept flying sort of. So I went through a period where I was flying, like, sometimes SAB would, like, build a helicopter for me to go fly on a trip to, like, I don't know, Italy or something. And, and they would have, like, Contronic motors in it. So I would fly Contronic or I would fly Scorpion or, or Quantum or whatever it was. Or, mm-hmm. And then it started to become Exnova. And then uh, Exnova asked us if we wanted to be the distributor. And so I kind of did my research and did the same thing I did with Theta and tested them and flew them and had Kyle test them for me. And, and eventually I said, yeah, because I really honestly believe in the product. So um, so we started that. And I asked A-Main, or I don't remember how it went down, but it was something like, I think I was speaking with Jason Bell and something came about to where we sort of agree that it would be best because it was easier. Um, I think A-Main already was handling part of the Exnova team in the U.S. and it kind of made sense for A-Main to be involved. So we came up with the whole thing where A-Main shares the distributorship with us. So something along those lines. I don't remember the exact details, but yeah. But um, yeah, so that's the deal with that. So yeah, it's been uh, it's been it's been a ride with between you know all these crazy brands and switch and you know and everything else. So yeah, and I don't know if everybody knows this, but Bert's warehouse is like a hundred feet from his front from his garage door. So it's not a warehouse. Know, I love- it's a glorified garage, is what it is. Not even it's an ugly garage. It's what it is. But yeah, yeah, it's 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 a it's a short stroll from my house. I wake up in the morning and I have a very long commute. It takes about forty five seconds to get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a murderous uh, commute right there. That's a murderous one. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, but it goes it goes back to that conversation we were having earlier about you know disconnecting and stuff like that. Like when the shit's at your house, it's not it's it's just it consumes you, you know. And I remember like I would you know uh, call Bert at like seven o'clock. He's like, dude, can you please talk to me tomorrow about this? I'm done. And I'm like, dude, I understand. No worries. And I have been so like, and I've been so busy because I we changed our website right, and uh, so we were having problems with with our previous provider. And uh, the Monday or Tuesday of last week, like four, three, four days before we did the Memorial Day sale, um, our website was down for like six hours. Oh, and, yeah. And I have been working on this new website migration for like uh, probably about six to eight weeks. It was like a thousand hour project. And so I was working. Wow. Eyes at like, I don't know, 637 after coffee. I would come home, have a quick lunch for 20 minutes, go back to the shop, keep working till like six or seven, come home, take a shower. Susie, God bless her, would have dinner ready. We would have dinner and then I would sit on the couch with my laptop and keep going till like midnight time to go to bed. And I did this for like five, five to six weeks straight. And last week, right when our website went down, I told Susie, I'm like, you know what? I'm done. Like, I'm done. I don't want this to happen during the sale you know, the holiday sale, I'm, I'm, I'm migrating tonight. She's like, you're crazy. We're not ready. I said, no, we're not, but we're going to, we're going to make it happen. And so it was like nonstop, like all week and all weekend, like to make sure that we ironed out bugs. We still have a couple of things here and there that need improved, but this new platform is more reliable. It works better. There, there's no point of comparison. It, it loads faster. There's more payment methods for the customer. Um, the reward system works better. Like it's hands down a much better system. So, um, so I'm happy. I'm happy about that. It's 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 costing me a lot of a lot of sleep and a lot of headaches. But eventually, it's going to be probably within the next five to ten days. It's going to be where where it should where where it should have been before we switched over, but we, we had to kind of switch over a little bit, but we haven't had that many issues. We've just had a handful of people that had issues with their passwords and things like that. But, but so far it's working already better than, than the previous website. And it looks better and it loads faster and it, I'm very happy with it. Yeah. I just I'm had a, right now. It's actually, yeah, I just had my faster. first chance. I just had my first chance today to go and look at it and yeah, it does look really good actually. So yeah, I think it looks better and everything is categorized better. We're still adding more products to it. And, uh, yeah, so yeah, I'm pretty happy with that. It's just been a lot of work, but you know, because there's you know, a lot of people, you know, underestimate how much there is to do. Like moving website, it's not just a website; it's like a big database of products, and you know, everything has to be in place and it has to synchronize with our inventory management system, which is on the back end where we that we use for scanning orders so that we make sure nothing's missing out of an order, and it has to synchronize with the shipping software so the orders can get shipped and labels can get print print it and then it has to send all the information back to the front end of the website so customers can log in and look at their tracking numbers and it can record their points and like there's a lot of things that you know go behind the scenes that you know take a lot of work not hard work just time consuming work to do so yeah yeah this, but, the, the website's definitely fast i've just been clicking on stuff and going from left to right and it is it does move pretty quickly it's better than the previous one. It still has some heavy graphics, but it's it's definitely a, a lighter, lighter, lighter code. So it it should work a little bit better. Now, is everybody's old accounts transferring over nicely too? 
Yeah, so unfortunately, because of the high level of encryption on both platforms, uh, we were not able to move their passwords. So basically, they have to re-register, which is first, last name, email, and password. That's it. But when they do that, um, it'll find the, the record that we've imported already in there. So it'll it'll remember the mailing address. It'll remember if they had points, rewards points, and how many points they had. It'll remember a lot of stuff. So it we just couldn't transfer passwords. And Javier would probably be able to explain that better because I was not a... Uh, an encryption IT type of guy. I don't know if you are Javier, but um, with the with the level of encryption, we would not get any of the keys to be able to decrypt the password. So that's why you have to re-register. But the record is there. So if you re-register with the same email address, that's all it takes for it to do a match and then recognize you as a previous customer. So nice nice yeah i was i was actually browsing through the through the site as well and um and you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't minimize the uh, bk servos actually uh bird because i was listening to the latest heli um, heli heads episode where they did a full rundown of um of all the servos mm-hmm. where they just looked at you know price versus performance and they just assigned a weighted average to it yeah and uh, basically they came up with the best bank for the buck and uh, actually the winner was your nine thousand one, so you shouldn't minimize that. Really? No, uh, it's, I, it's still I, pretty good. Several, yeah. I'm not. I I never minimized it. I was, I, I guess what I was trying to say is, I I think I think the line that we have today is better than the 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 seven thousand one seven thousand two. I was talking about the seven thousand one seven thousand two. You know being able to sell that for, you know, $100, then I had to make some compromises with with some of the components. But I think our new line is, is really, uh, it's really solid. And, and, uh, and, you know, uh, I'm not gonna lie to you when 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 Kyle started uh, testing data servos, he didn't like them, he said, they just don't feel as, as connected and as fast as, as the 9001s. And and then obviously when we got into the programming and we started messing with settings and increasing the current and increasing the P and the I settings and all that, then at some point he said, "Oh no no no, these feel just as good if not better." But but for somebody that wants a fast, very connected, powerful servo out of the box, yeah no I I think our new our new nine thousand one nine thousand five um, servos are, are really really good really really good, no doubt. Yeah yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure, I agree. And and you know, um, you said there's a lot of things that go on into into a servo, you know, reliability and and um, components. But just specs wise, I mean, it 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 blew right out of the water everyone else just because of you know best best bang for the buck basically. I mean, even though it's a slightly more expensive servo than the previous line, it's still because of the high specs versus the price and comparing and comparing it versus. A baseline and among others, you know, it's still a, a very good bank for the box. Yeah, and it's actually the best in their on, on their list. So thank you. And you know, there were people that were, a lot of people asked me like when the theta thing came about, like uh, it, it was like, why, 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 why are you, why are you doing this? Are you crazy or whatever? I'm like, I, I, listen, different strokes for different folks, you know. Um, I know people, I know a lot of people 
that tell me I don't want to deal with Theta. I'm like, why, man? Try them. They're great. No, no, no. I just don't want to be messing with programming. I'm like, don't mess with it. Just put them on your helicopter and fly. Yeah. No, no, no. I just, I, I no. I, there's people that are old school, man. They just want, you know, they just don't, they, they want something that they know is ready to go out of the box because, because it's kind of like a double-edged sword, right? Like, I know that you can buy a set of Theta servos, put them on your heli, and they'd be amazing. I know that. Will, will they feel the best to a Kyle Dole, Kyle Stacy, or whatever, a guy like that? Maybe maybe they'll want to tweak it and make it feel more like they're expecting it to feel for their flying style. But for most of us, including myself, like, they fly great. But there are people that... You don't, you don't do any tweaking to them? I do. I I do, but I but I but honestly, it depends on the model. Like I feel like the full size C ones, the standard size C ones, and it's the, the C ones only the cyclics. I try to increase the current a little bit because it makes them more responsive. But I just put a, a set of the the uh, the the low profile ones on my Puma, and I didn't touch them. They felt great out of the box. So I didn't have to do anything with them. But but I think that there are people that that think that because because that the fact that they're programmable that they have to program like you know what i mean like it's like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no they, they you got the ability you have to do it yeah it's like no you don't have to no 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 i just i just want I, you know they want they want to buy torque they want to buy bk they want to buy whatever mks they want to buy expert they mm-hmm. don't want to deal with you know the it's it's too advanced sort of thing. You know what I mean? No, no, just plug them in and fly. You know, kind of thing. So okay, you know, like I said, different strokes for different folks. Everybody likes different things. You know, so it's all good. Yeah, yeah. yeah the only thing I did when I, when I had them was just uh, figure out the center, center of them, and the tail center, just to get it so you had that perfect ninety. Yeah, and that was the only thing I ever did to them. I know that when Ting flew my machine, he t- he tweaked the the power. To him, he wanted to increase a little more power because he, I was flying the Protos Max and I was a heavy machine. And he's like, "Yeah, you want this, Frank? You want it like this?" And it felt great, but I wouldn't have known any difference if I didn't if I didn't have someone like him touch him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. Uh, I think people probably get intimidated too by uh, having so many extra options too, like that, right? Yeah, no doubt. Let me tell you, when you open, when you first connect the software, and you you've probably seen it, Frank. It is intimidating. Mm-hmm. It was even intimidating to me. And I worked around servos because some of the stuff you can mess with, like the stall current and things like that. Yeah, you don't you don't want to touch that. I agree. You want to touch you want to touch the centering if you want if you, if you want to center the servo without you know getting into your fly, your flyerless system. You you might want mm-hmm. to increase the current. Uh, the current is a good setting to increase because it does instantly increase the 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 acceleration of the servo so if you're doing 3d especially if you're doing uh you know tiktoks and things like that you will feel the servo feeling more connected you 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 will feel a little bit more connected to the helicopter i think i think for most people it, it most it wouldn't say most but half the people out there that are doing 3d will notice the difference and then other than that like Another nice feature to have the programming option is, you know, if you if you're a Futaba guy, 
and you're flying a Futaba, you know, flyberless system, you know, you, you can run it on 760 pulse, you know, narrow band. And, and, you, yeah, yeah. and you can do that with a servo. You cannot do that with BK. You cannot do that with MKS. You cannot do that with torque. You can, you, you can, no. but you can do it with theta. You just, you, 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 you tap it, you, you go in the program and, and you change it to, from, to narrow band and it changes the centering to 760 pulse width and you plug it into your Futaba you know, flight controller at 760, which the only servo up until now that was capable of doing that was the actual Futaba servos themselves. So that's that's an awesome feature. So, in my opinion, and that's you know, it's interesting to me because like that Futaba servo is a two hundred fifty dollars servo. So, let's say you were building a helicopter, you were spending a thousand dollars on servos just to have that feature, which now with the Theta. And you get that at a much lower price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can almost you can almost buy two for the price of one. Almost, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and I hear you guys say, I hear you guys say a thousand dollars, and I think in Canadian, it's like, oh no, that's like an awful lot more than a thousand dollars for us. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's like, yeah, you're. I think they're two thirty nine ninety nine. What, whatever. They're like, yeah, or two forty nine yeah. francs. Some, yeah, they're close to two fifty. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a thousand dollars for an electric, twelve fifty for a nitro. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of money to put into there, you know. And you know, servos is one of those things that it's it's a requirement. It's like a, it's like a necessary evil, but it's also one of those things that you don't want to cheap out on because you know you got to spend. You know, let's say you build a, a V two or a raw. You know, you're gonna put a thousand dollars into an airframe. You know, you want that airframe to last for a long time. You know. And, Good servos will help you with that. Yeah, yeah. So, it, but you know, so, you know, I, I remember when I when I was working for a line, and we were traveling to Taiwan or whatever, and I was really good friends with Jason Krause, which he disappeared from the hobby. But Jason always used to tell me, you know, the helicopter, and and this is different because this is the fly bar days, right? But but he was right in a way. He he always used to say the helicopter is going to fly as good as the servos that it's got. You know, and there's some degree of truth to that statement. Maybe not so much in the flybarless era, but back in the flybar days when all you could rely on was the servos, because the servos was everything. Like now, you know, the the, the algorithms and the flybarless controllers and the control loop and and all this stuff it, it it does its thing. But when the servo was literally connected from swash to mixing arms to what was called the seesaw down to the fly the flyberless the to the sorry the fly bar and the paddles, you know if you had a crappy shitty servo versus a really good servo, you were going to have two different. It could be the same helicopter, but you were going to have two different helicopters, without a doubt. Uh, and so, yeah, the servo is very important, you know, when it comes to helicopter performance. No, there's just no doubt that the flyberless system, I would say, is number one nowadays. Number two is servos. Yeah. Because, you know, you can have a crappy motor as long as it's running. You might not have the power or the head speed, but it's still going to fly and, it, and it's still probably going to fly yeah. very well. You know, the blades will make a difference. Yes. But, you know, I. It, you can have crappy servos with a crappy flabberless unit and the best plates in the world, and and that thing's still going to fly like a turd, you know. But <laughs> but you but you could fly, but you could have the best best servos and the best flight controller with crappy blades, and it's going to fly really well. So 
you know, yeah. servos fly barless to me are the most important things on a helicopter for sure by a long shot. Everything else is secondary. That's why guys can still still get nitro helicopters to fly well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it nitro still nitro still has its following, you know. Yeah. Bert, you still fly your nitro? Rarely, man. I listen. I love I love to fly nitro. I really do. I actually like to fly nitro more than I do electric. But, but I do not like <laughs> anything else related to nitro. I don't like to buy what? nitro. I don't like to store <laughs> nitro. I don't like to pour nitro into a fuel tank. I don't like the sliminess and the nastiness of a <laughs> helicopter. I don't like to tweak it, to tune it. Even though I know how to do it, I don't like to do it. I don't like to replace bearings. Yeah. I don't like to carry a glow driver, uh, you know, or or a switch glow that then stops working. Or what is it? The the one that Augusto makes, I hear, is really good. I never tried it. Yeah, but, that one, the X-Card one? Yeah, yeah I have that on mine. Yeah. It's, it's solid. But everything that goes along with it, the maintenance and this and that and the rings and the bearings, oh, my God. Like, and then the- well, What was the last time you replaced the bearing on on, on a on a motor, do you remember? Yeah, probably about probably about two years ago. On the ninety one, on your on, on your ninety one speed, ninety one speed. Yeah, yeah. I when I yeah. when I first got it, you know, some amazing dude out of nowhere sent me sent me the motor for free from like Australia. So like, oh wow, yeah. I made a comment on the podcast that uh, when I was doing the BKRC podcast with Kyle. And I made a comment that the OS ninety one speed was like the best motor ever made, and too bad they were discontinued and they were really hard to find and get. And if anybody knew of anyone selling one, I would buy. I would buy it. I'd pay for it. And this guy just sends me an email. It's like I'm going to send it to you, and I'm like, dude, I can't. You, I can't accept that. Like, no, no, no. I, I'm not using it. I'm sending it to you. I'm like, dude, come on. Like, let me like send you. He sent it. Didn't even want money for the shipping. Like I told him, no. He found the address on our website and sent it to me. So, <laughs> and it was it was That's awesome. it was used, but it was in really good shape. But obviously, I didn't know how much use it had, so I took it apart, put new ring, new bearings, front and rear, you know, this and that, and uh, and I flew it actually quite a bit. It's probably been more like three years now, but I flew that helicopter a lot. And uh, it's uh-huh. it's probably overdue for another bearing change because it's been sitting forever. But I've been debating if I want to go with raw 700 nitro or now with the raw 580. I'm kind of excited because it's a little the smaller the smaller nitros are a little they're a little easier to deal with. You know what I mean? Like less vibration. You know? Yeah. They have less issues. They have less issues. But the you know 700 nitro at night. Oh. Doesn't get any better, man. I'm sorry. When you when that thing is like producing the right power, and it's not stupidly leaned out, you know, like it's like it's tuned correctly. I don't think there's a better experience. I agree, and you know what? I you know, and and you know, props to Matt because you know that Synergy was a very good flying machine. I mean, I oh the N7, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm not gonna deny yeah. that. I mean, I I I think they feel yeah. amazing. They really did. So, oh yeah, dude, you remember when we were giving them away on the Hangout? Mm-hmm. So. Back back in the day, you know, a long time ago, we were doing some things that, you know, could be questionable, but we didn't know any better. I get the idea to call Bert, hey, look, Bert, we're going to have this thing. We're going to have you versus Matt and seven versus Black Nitro. 
Yeah. And we're yeah. just gonna put them up there. And, and, and we're just like, dude, you're not. Gonna, I'm not gonna sell anything. This, the end is gonna beat me. I'm like, what are you talking about? I said, oh, you're gonna be fine. He's like, no, no, don't do that. Don't do it separately. Don't. No, no. I said, we're gonna do it the same. We're gonna do it Nitro Friday. That was the that was the that was the the gimmick that we were doing. Right. Come to find out that the Nitro Friday, both guys that won wanted black nitros. I remember telling the verse like, I told you so. I told you so. But yeah, and good, and I and, and I hate to say it, not to undermine the Black Nitro. I think that uh, that N seven was I don't know, man. That thing was a nice machine. That thing was smooth. Yeah, for sure. yeah. I mean, I I'm not gonna say anything, but I I I don't know. I was I was very impressed with that machine. That's why I, I was very uh, surprised when people actually like um, a lot of people uh, went with the Black Nitro. Yeah. The the cool thing about the Black Nitro, and I had two of them, it's they require very little maintenance. Like, you can put 100 flights on them and not have to take anything apart. I remember once you got to about the 150, you had to start pulling the clutch out because the clutch liner would get a little bit, you know. After that many flights, you needed to replace it. But other than that, those were, that's an excellent machine. I haven't flown the latest SAP Nitro, but the Black Nitro itself was pretty damn solid in my opinion. Yeah. I flew the piss out of mine. Yeah, I think the, the, the new raw nitro is far superior. I mean, my, my Kraken 700 nitro, which is kind of a conversion, is superior than the uh, black nitro. I think only only because it's lighter, right? And now the raw nitro, okay. nitro is even lighter. So, I mean, that makes a big difference. So, yeah. Yeah, they really did look it, They looked into that. that they, it came out pretty well. I've had a, I have a few guys that have them on my field, and, you know. Yeah. Even though I don't fly for the for SAP anymore, they do make a good helicopter. You know? Rod, don't fire me. Don't be, he doesn't listen to this anyway, so I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, that makes me that makes me sort of go back a little bit. You know, we were talking about at the beginning there about you know the new helicopters coming out and whatnot. And I know you don't really do a whole lot of designing of helicopters anymore, but can you go a little bit into how much it takes or what it takes to actually design a helicopter, how long it takes and, and you know, what happens to start when you first wanting to get involved with actually building a helicopter and when, you know, how, how, how I'm, I know it's a lot of work, but. Uh, well, things, things are drastically different between uh, the different manufacturers, right? And, Things have also changed dramatically over the last, I would say, 15 years. So like my first project, I wasn't designing anything, but I was testing for miniature aircraft when miniature aircraft was based in the U.S. owned by the original owner. So the guy that founded miniature aircraft USA, his name was Walt Scunard, and he lived in the same time I, town I live in right now, literally, in, in a small town in central in central florida a little bit north of orlando and he passed away and his kid tim inherited the company and i was working uh in it still back in those days getting really heavily into helicopters and um i was you know sort of up and coming and doing some crazy stuff here and there and then he saw me at an event here in florida he said you want to you want to fly for us you know i'll just give you a discount you know kind of a, a rep deal and uh and I was stoked. So he's like, you know, over time, like he started asking me if I would come to the shop and help him, you know, test a new part or do this or that. So anyway, the way things were done then was different. You know, they used AutoCAD, two dimensional drawings. 
and then like cut the parts and CNC was nowhere near uh, at the at the level that it is today in terms of like how they could cut parts and the tolerances and things like that. So it was a little bit more difficult, a lot more in-house prototyping and things like that. Nowadays, everything is like so much easier. And but what make what makes a good design difficult is the lack of experience, right? The more experience uh, an actual RC toy helicopter per se, to call it that way, designer has, the better the designs will become. So in other words, like I can see it, um, Frank, I don't know who's working on Excel Power, but I can see that the newer generation helicopters, I don't know if they have somebody new designing, I don't know who's dealing with it, but I can see the newer generations are a lot better. Oh, I wouldn't say better or worse, but that there's a lot of aspects in the design that have improved when compared to the first, you know, the very first oh, yeah. Spectre, you know what I mean? So, oh, 100%, 100% yeah. sure. Yeah, so like... So the first helicopter any company ever makes is always the hardest because, you know, there's so many different variables and so much that has to be done, like in terms of, you know, turning that the original design from computer, you know, uh, from computer graph, you know, computer design, like most most designers use either SolidWorks uh, solid or, or Pro Engineer, you know, Pro E. But t- taking that from there to to uh prototype parts and then you know going into production and mass quantities you know that that is that is quite an intricate difficult process for somebody that's never done it before and it takes two three four models to kind of perfect that and know exactly how to do it and how to do it well but you know it depends again on the manufacturer i mean back in in the align days uh, align would fly a bunch of guys to taiwan um, we'll fly a bunch of us and we'll go to the flying field and fly every day till 11 o'clock at night. And they had light, wow. lights at the field. And if something needed to be done, uh, corrected, changed, whatever it was, you know, uh, one of the engineers there would call the factory that was like a mile down the road. Then they, somebody would show up two hours later with a new part and it would be installed in the helicopter and tested again and again. And this would go on for two, three weeks testing was done then the final the final uh specs for the final design were were uh, agreed upon and they would go into production and six six weeks later the helicopter would be hitting the shelves you know everybody does it a little differently right but yeah it's it's not an easy thing i mean it's it's uh it's complicated also because you also have to figure out how much how many parts to make right so yep. yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna release an initial batch of 500 helicopters, as an example, just to throw a number, yeah, you can't make 500 swash blades. But if you make a thousand swash blades, you're wasting money because you're not gonna do much with. What are you gonna do with an additional 500 swash blades? How many swash blades are going to break? You see what I mean? Yeah. But mm-hmm. you're gonna probably need to make 10,000. Uh, 10,000, uh, just as an example, uh, bowlings, right? Just, just to have enough for that, for the 500 helicopters. Well, you might need to make more than, you might need more than uh, 10,000. You might need a hundred thousand because, because bowlings break all the time. People are going to buy them. So figuring out the math on how many to produce 
and making sure that either you can produce it consistently in the same way with the right tolerances or finding the right vendor to do it for you. That's that's a pretty intricate, difficult process, to say the least. So and and there's not a single helicopter manufacturer in the entire world. I don't care what anybody says that makes their own all their parts themselves. No, no, <laughs> yeah. it's impossible. Right. It's impossible to do it. I mean, yeah. SAB makes the vast majority of their own parts in-house, the vast majority. But they don't make their own – they don't make the bearings. They don't make the bolts or the hardware and the nuts. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff they don't make. So, yeah, so finding the right vendor, knowing how many to order, getting the right price, and then figuring it all out into the equation to come up with the right final price, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And, and making sure that – you know, because a lot of times you test and test and everything's great. But when you go to production, things change. Tolerances change. Yeah. The quality of the parts might change. The what vendor here or there might try to screw you with like a different plastic or, a, you know what I mean? There's a lot. Yeah. yeah, it's tough. It's very tough. So. And and let's not forget the, the constant changing price of shipping. Oh, and, yeah. well. I, how do you, how do you, you know, we, you may have talked about this a thousand times, but, you know, for most people, no one really understands what it costs to get the product alone in the United States. I, you know, I, I am honestly like really, really worried. Um, not just for the hobby. I'm really worried about the hobby, but I'm worried in general terms. I think we're about to hit a recession. I, some's got to give everything. It's not just the cost of shipping, but look at, look at groceries. I don't know about. Oh my god! I mean, I don't know about Canada. How is it in Canada, uh, Darren? It's it's insane. It's absolutely insane. It's it's getting more and more expensive. I mean, the, the big one I think about right now is just the cost of fuel. Uh, oh, yeah. You guys think it's yeah. uh, it's expensive for you guys there, but up here, like I'm on the west coast of Canada, close to Vancouver, and we're roughly. I think we're a little the equivalent of a little over seven dollars a gallon for gasoline right now fuck me holy yeah, shit it's it's just insane the cost of well shit. we're at five and, and here, not only right? that we're at five yeah or i'm still like paying like 450 oh dude we're and, over but five i don't I, I, yeah. dude i walk i'll drive into the hood to get cheap gas man <laughs> i have no <laughs> I, I will <laughs> there's I, this if you listen to a lot of rap songs you, I, Queens, I don't think you do at all. So I'm not, no, there's no, this place called Opalaka, which is like the comparable to like the content of the of California. It's like that, but they have really cheap gas and they got good chicken. So my ass goes there. Oh my god! But yeah, you know, and and not only that with shipping too. Going back to that, is the reliability has gone down too. Like there's just it, it's just gotten awful. Yeah, yeah, it it, it you know. Shipping, you know, <clears throat> to put it in perspective, just to round up a number, just as an example, on on an average order from SAB that say it was like thirty thousand dollars, as an example, we're paying like I don't know fifteen hundred dollars to ship that order. Now that same order costs us six seven thousand dollars to ship it, so it, it's quadrupled. Uh, and, and you know, when COVID hit, and we're all worried about what you know what's going to happen and this and that. Nothing really happened. This all started towards the middle of 2021, uh, maybe the spring of 20. This started about a year ago when when the prices started to go up higher and higher and higher. And they keep going up. They keep going up. Like 
and and, yeah. and you know we just brought in a shipment of of switch blades and it was over 20% 25% of shipping costs and it's insane it's wow. so i mean at some point something's got to give because you know the hobby is not in a position where we can keep increasing prices it just doesn't it that you know it yeah. to a certain degree but you, but you can't yeah but i get that but you know like I, let's say I take myself away from this. I still, let's say I'm no longer, I'm not involved with any companies. I'm not doing anything. You know, I still think, I still see the hobby for me as therapy. Like, man, there's no difference between me paying a higher copay to see a therapist or, or me going fly. So, if, you know, <laughs> if it gets to a point where you just got to bite the bullet. It's like, hey, man, you know, I got to pay more. I got to pay more for it. You know, like, if you think about the time that you spend building your helis and, and you know, depending how much life you get out of them, you know, like if I'm not crashing every weekend, I'm, I'm doing great. You know, I don't crash as much as, as, as most people, you know. But, yeah, but yeah, but th- let's think about this though, too. I mean, I, I, you know, you're probably reasonably okay financially, and I'm actually fairly reasonably okay financially, but yeah. you look at somebody else that isn't quite the, the at the same position that we are. They may not mm-hmm. be able to go and think of it that way. They may have to. I mean, I think of, I hate to bring up Javier and his fishing, but, you know, there is a little bit of that <laughs> too for him. Once it's a lower cost thing too, right? And yeah, I don't want to hear that. I do have to be careful. Yeah, I know. Watches but, and shit like that, so I'm not, yeah. not going to fall for that one. I, I'll agree with you there. <laughs> but uh, you do have to think too. Like I've I've seen other people talk about this where they just say, you know what, I just can't do it anymore because just, it's just too expensive. And there are other hobbies out there that just plain are cheaper too, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. But I mean, it's just... kind of hard. It's, it's hard to find that you know the that sweet spot where you know you buy the right you know. Yep. You instead of buying a new airframe every year, you buy one every other year. You know, and you stock up from parts when you have sales. Like I think that if there's there's a way, there's a will. You know, well, there's a will. True. Play, that's what I should say. But let's think. But I can about, understand the hindrance that it can happen on most people, you know. But then, okay. But let's think about that too. You talk about okay, let's switching from an airframe every year to an every uh, an airframe every other year. You get a more mm-hmm. more and more people doing that. Well, then that starts to affect somebody like Bert as well, in that oh, he's not sure. selling as much either. And which means that the costs are even going to have to go even higher if he can even stay in business at all. Correct? No, that's for sure. Yeah. No, you're right. There's there. It's not an easy solution. There's. No, we don't have enough uh, liquor or drugs to fix it right now. So you know <laughs> what's interesting is like sometimes raising the price to you know it, it, this is going to sound like I'm like whining or complaining, but you know a lot of times we'll sell product to where we make no money or we lose money. We really do because <clears throat> excuse me, this is particularly the case with. Uh, uh, very bulky items that are uh, relatively "quote unquote" inexpensive. To give you an example, somebody buys a boom and a canopy together, and say the total is one hundred and forty dollars or one hundred and thirty dollars, and they order from California, and we have to ship from Florida, and they get free shipping. It could cost us forty dollars to ship that, right? Now, people don't think wow. people don't think about this, even if it costs us thirty. Do the percentage right there. If it's a one hundred thirty dollar order and it costs us thirty dollars, right? That's like. That's a lot of money. That's like 25 to 30%. Then we get hit with PayPal fees or credit card fees or whatever it is. And then, and then now think about this. What if that happens during a sale like we had this weekend where they don't pay 130, but they get an extra 10%? 
So in some cases, we actually lose money. And and I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. We make money on on other things, right? But in the, but but there's certain cert, particular circumstances where because of the the high shipping costs, we actually do lose yeah. money on a sale. And you know, can the giants of uh, uh, the big shops like uh, you know, like like A Main Hobbies, Heli Direct, and all these guys support that? Maybe they can. Can can I support that? I can't long term. You know, I'm a mom and pop shop. You know, family owned. It's a little different for us. But I, I don't know what the solution is. But I, I just don't see the issue with the hobby. I see it like across the board with everything, and, and it's kind of worrisome. We we'll hope that something changes. You know, I, I don't know what it is. What's going to have to change? But I don't. I don't know. Things are a little crazy right now. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that, and I, I hope they change this. You know. Uh, yeah, the cost of shipment has gone to the roof, you know. The like Weens was saying, you know, the the you know, they're not as good as it used to be. You know, you don't trust the real their reality to. You know, I had to go to a fun flight and I had to get servos sent to me from Heli Direct. Mm-hmm. And it took it took five days. It took five days where three years ago it was two days and I was having anything I needed from them. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm I'm happy if I get five days. Sheesh. <laughs> no, I get five. You know, it's funny because uh, last year, the shipping was 100 times better than it is right now. Like, I, they could send out something from uh, from Excel in China. I would have it in less than five days. Now, I'm not. Uh, two weeks. Easily. Two weeks. And it costs us more money to, get, to ship it over than it did before. Yeah, no, it's shipping is insane. It's been, like out here in Canada right now, my two main dealers are both located in Alberta, and just to from Alberta to BC, which it's not that long of a distance, and it's a minimum of seven days, minimum. Wow, really? Yeah, yep. Wow, that's horrible. Wow. So, what would that be considered in the United States? Let's say from like Florida to DC. Uh, no, we're talking like the distance of Montana to Washington. So it's a couple of states away. Yeah, like wow. I, it's the Alberta is literally the province right beside me, and oh. uh, it, it's it, I I can I could drive there in about uh, I would say eighteen hours, sixteen eighteen hours. Okay, so there. no, okay, so it's 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 a it's that's that's driving. That's like yeah here to here to Virginia, right, Bert? Yeah, yeah, from for for you probably, yeah, yeah. For me, for yeah. me, it's about twelve. Yeah, yeah, about about that distance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The other one that I know our my dealers have, and uh, you know, um, Bert, one of your, I think about the, I don't know how many Canadian dealers you have, but one of the one that you have up in Alberta, uh, Paul at Hel- the Heli Hanger and Hobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he finds, and he's an awesome guy. He's worked his butt off to try and you know keep everybody happy and whatnot. But what's interesting with any of his orders that he gets, if if it comes, there's basically two, uh, there's basically two custom shippings borders that all pretty much everything comes through. One is in Ontario, and one is here in Vancouver. If it goes through Ontario. It actually makes it through usually within about two to three days at, at the, uh, you know, sometimes longer, but usually within two to three days. If it goes through the Vancouver customs, 
it goes almost they're legally allowed to hold it for as many as 15 biz or yeah 15 business days and they will usually hold it for that full 15 business days on him wow no way yeah what why is yeah. that though i have no idea it's really really frustrating that's one of the reasons why for me you know i've posted on on forums before i've I've gotten to the point where I've said, you know what, I need to start ordering for more Canadian dealers because I, even for me to order stuff across the line, my, my last order from a main hobbies, for example, they, they shipped it within a day or two Yeah, and it still took uh, about a full three weeks for me to get it from them to me. And that was almost all of that was because of holdup at customs. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. Well, Sorry, yeah, man, horrible. the the customs thing is like horrendous. That happens there, you know. But also, what about inside Canada? If you order from somewhere in Canada, like have you ever ordered from like RotorQuest or or a shop like that? That's like a ways away from you. I have RotorQuest is it's been a few years since I've ordered from RotorQuest, um, and it that takes about a week or so. Mm-hmm which come and going straight across the country, that's not too, too bad. But what's where it's kind of odd is, you know, when I order from, from Paul in Alberta, it takes the same amount of time. And he's only, you know, he's only one, literally the province next to me. Yeah. I don't know about the cost of shipping, for example, in Europe, but I know not as of today, but I know that years ago, like not even that long ago, but before COVID, like, you know, whatever, three years ago, 2019, yeah. whatever, I know Europe has real had used to have very economical shipping rates. I know that like from Italy where SAB, you know, SAB is, they could ship something to Spain or to like the UK, which is the equivalent to what us in Florida shipping to somewhere in like Colorado or something like quite a way. Yeah. They could ship it for like a third of what we would ship with like UPS ground, like really cheap, really, really cheap. I don't know anymore. I don't know how things are over there, but I don't know. Ship shipping just keeps going up and up and up and up, and we don't know when it's going to stop. You know, if it does. But you know, now the cost of fuel is not helping either. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. not easy. Life <laughs> is not easy anymore. Well, Bobby, I'm do you looking... have any more questions? I was going to say, do we have yeah. any more questions? Yeah, I um, I wanted to go back to um to just one um. Uh, Bert, I know that you talked about having a, um, you know, a big break, you know, that you sometimes go like a few months without even thinking about helicopters. And I know that, and and it's funny, but I've seen, and, and yes, Helifreak still exists. And um, I know that. <laughs> You're still there, dude, for real? <laughs> yes, I'm still there. <clears throat> so I I keep seeing people going back to the hobby. You know, there there's some people that leave the hobby. You know, we've talked about that. But I do see a lot of people that are going back, you know, right after COVID, probably, you know, they went on this hiatus and they just uh, kind of like, like you said, you know, kind of the, revived the fire to just go back into into what, what they liked to do. You know, what is kind of like your thought process of, of going back, you know, because you, you go back and you are all pumped up and all excited and you want to fly, but you know that you're scared because you're not in that groove yet right i mean you're you're scared you think that you're probably gonna crash and you know kind of how how do you process that how do you ease up going back into the hobby after a long hiatus oh i i can't answer that question i it it just it it happens like 
by itself. It's just like a, an automatic thing. So you just uh, get it back and slowly just start flying back and uh, it, it just goes back like riding a bike? Oh, you're, you're talking about like you're asking about like uh, uh, like the actual like flying aspect, like as far as like going back to fly and like feeling comfortable flying. Correct. Um, correct. Yes. Well, honestly, if if I don't stop for too long, I feel even more comfortable. Like if I stop for like a month uh, or, or like anywhere, be, you know, if, if it's less than uh, it's hard to say, but it, there's a period of time. I don't know if it's a month or two. Where if I go to the field and I haven't flown for that time period of time, I actually feel more comfortable because it, it's almost like whatever groove I was in as far as like the repetition of certain maneuvers or, you know, I guess you could call the routines that I had like in my head are kind of kind of went away. And I'm actually just flying a little different or whatever. And and as far as feeling comfortable, that doesn't change. When when it changes is if I go like a long time, right? If I go like I don't know, six months or something, which I've done before, then yeah, the first few flights are kind of a little odd, and you know, I I start with a little bit lower head speed, and and it, you know, I just get a couple of really easy flights. I a lot of people don't believe this, but the people that know me and see me fly, Manny gives me a lot of grief about it. I do practice all my basics very, very often, even to this day. I will, you will see me doing figure eights at slow speed and at high speed, inverted forward, inverted backwards, backwards, and upright forward. I will do that uh, very regularly because I've always thought that you will never be in 100% control if you cannot fly that helicopter. I know a lot of people that you tell them, just make a nice, smooth right-hand turn you know, I don't care if you're low or high, but keep the same altitude and keep the symmetry and do it in front of you centered. Very few people can do that. Upright, mm -hmm. flying forward, making a circle. That is very important. If you cannot control the helicopter in such basic orientation, don't try to do a pirouetting hero flip thing or whatever. You know, you know what I mean? Like, so... So I start like that if it's been a while and I kind of work my way, you know, and, you know, it doesn't take long after about a day or a couple of days, I'm back in the groove kind of thing. It doesn't really, it's like, it, it really is like riding a bicycle. It really, really is. It doesn't, it's not much different okay. than that. You don't forget it. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I was worried because, uh, you know, I'm going to go through that as, as they mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm going, uh, I'm, uh, throttling back a little bit and going into a different uh hobby so i'm worried that when i get back you know i'm not gonna know what i what i'm doing anymore you'll so. be fine just don't but i always tell people don't even if you have to force yourself to go and get a flight or two like in a couple of months do it don't don't go for too long because then then it's when you're going to start seeing it I don't think you lose your skills at all. You 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 lose your level of comfort, and it, I think it's more of a mental thing that like, oh, I haven't done this in so long. I'm not comfortable, so don't don't go too long without flying. But you know, I've done it, and it's it, I pick it right back up in a day or two. But uh, but the longer I go without flying, the less the less I miss it. So it's scary. So I I like to because. Honestly, for me, and I don't know if it's because I've been doing it for so long or like we were talking earlier about me being in the business or whatever it is. 
for me, it's uh, it. I I can basically get my interest back by just going and flying. You know, you know what I mean. Like, if I'm not interested, if I, I all it takes, if I'm burned out, feel like I'm burned out, I don't care, I don't want to go fly. All it takes is for me to go to the field, force myself, just force myself to go to the field one day when I know there's going to be people there and watch them fly. And and that's all it takes for me to kind of get back and be like, oh, yeah, I want to fly because I get another thing that gets me really interested, like gets my enthusiasm going and makes me want to go fly again is uh, going to an event, you know. I go to an event and I come back from yep. that event very like even when I'm at the event and I'm watching people fly, especially if I see guys doing something cool I haven't seen before, whatever. I was like, oh, yeah, I want to fly again. It just gets me really, really going, you know. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Also going going to events is probably what what has kept me in the hobby. Um, you know, so many great things have happened. Um, at events, uh, you know, from the very first events that I went to, um, that it, it's just it's just amazing, you know, how people really really act like a family, like they've known you for like forever. I mean, it, I haven't experienced, and I've you know, just like you, I've had my share of hobbies, and um, you know, it's 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 different. It's different just how people um, just are wanting to help, and I've experienced that myself as well because it's. I feel uh, my theory is that, you know, it's so darn hard that, um, you know, and, and so many people really want to help you that you just want to help back, you know, because you went through all that hard work. Someone helped you. So you just want to help someone else back. So I don't know. It's just kind of like a very positive feedback. It just feeds into itself. You know, uh, I don't know. Uh, and, and at events, it's where it, where it happens the most. You know, I've had people... You know, hey, can you can you can you help me out with this? You know, I'm I'm trying to do these, and the helicopter feels weird, and they just drop whatever they do, they're doing. They go out to the other side of the field, they watch you fly, and uh, you know they give you pointers or hey, this is not flying well. Can you check? And you know, um, Kevin Adercha, he just sat down and helped me with the tail, and and we figured out that that uh, you know there was a wrong a problem with the symmetry in detail. You know, there's so many examples of things that happen at events that just uh you you know just get me pumped and you know I, I'm I'm just like that. You know, the events are really what what make it for me for the hobby. So yeah I'm um I'm always looking forward to those. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Well Bert uh, I, I have I have another one and I know I've harassed you with this with this before. But um but you know we have we have kind of like quote quote unquote thing here which is called you hear it here you heard it here first which um, you know we talked about spilling the beans and I know that you did a little bit with the 420 but uh, is there something else that you can you can provide to us again you know it'd probably be all news mm -hmm. by the time we release it but uh, but you know something that right now would be cool to hear that you know is something that um, you might give us a little bit of a peek into of what's coming. Yeah. You're being too nice about this, Javier. Hey, Bert, what's the next <laughs> brand you're going to bring to BK Hobbies? Ask that question. That's the question he wants. He doesn't want to answer. What, what, so is he, what, does he want, what is he asking me for, Frank? Good translation from me here. And we, he, he wants to pretty much <laughs> tell him the, the thing that, that no one knows about him. Let's make sure that we he, he hear here first. So I'm saying is 
What I ask an easier question. What's the next friend you got to bring into BK Hobbies? Ah, I can't let that. I can't let that one go. I have to play dumb on that one. Okay, at least at least say we're going to try. Uh, yeah, uh, try harder, Frank. Try harder. Frank. No, no, no. I, see, uh, that's the next model. Yeah. So once it, no, there's probably. I can give you a hint. Yeah. You're involved with it. That's all I can say. Oh yes. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> oh yeah, we can ask that. Can we say that now? Are you ready no, to say no, the, no, that no, question? Not. You can say it later on a future podcast. Okay. It's fine. Okay, I will. No, don't worry. I'm definitely going to say that one. I'm not going to let that the next, the next podcast up. is going to be like six months from now. No, it'll be next month. No, no. no. Uh, why, is, why, why, cool why are you guys uh, uh, slacking so much on this? <laughs> it's not that it's not that we're slacking. We we have figured out that if we take a little break in between, you know, uh, Javier can concentrate on his fishing and buying watches. You know, Paul's doing all his programming stuff, and me and Wings just kind of try to like uh, hassle these guys so we can record. Yeah, exactly. No, I've switched to doing all of the editing, so that's uh, helping yeah, us yeah, to get back yeah. out. Weens does all the work here. We're just, now, I just show up for the selfie. So what's up? What's, Sorry, up, what's yeah. up with this fishing, Javier? What's up with fi- fishing? No offense, brother. Fishing is the most boring thing I've ever done in my entire <laughs> life. I don't know why. It's horrible. Fishing is horrible. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, it's okay. you know I just needed to to throttle down uh, a little bit, you know, as 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 Darren said, I was one of the ones that uh, you know it's not that that I'm in a in a terrible bad financial situation, but things are are getting a little bit tighter. So um, I just uh, I just throttled down a little bit from from the hobby, and I wanted to pick up another hobby that was that was just cheaper to drive, basically. I mean. Um, you know, I, I love flying and it's still my main hobby and my passion. But, um, you know, uh, a rod and reel won't destroy the, itself if you don't cast it correctly. You know what I mean? So it's just. <laughs> that's, that's, that's funny that you say it like that. Yeah. So it's just, it's just, it's just, you know, a, a hobby that I can do that's a little bit cheaper that allows me to save up a little bit to get the fleet back in order and go back full force into the hobby, you know? So that's, it's just something that I, I wanted to pick something that was accessible, that was uh, relatively inexpensive. And, uh, you know, it just kind of like came about by itself. You know, our neighbors had some rods for sale and my son wanted to had the little uh, tickle to know what fishing was all mm-hmm. about. So uh, we went there, we talked to them. They turned out to be like super big fishing guys with, you know, like 20 rods and they have their boat and the, cabin on the lake that they go fishing you know they go into it you know like full force so they took us out fishing and you know it was it was actually really fun uh you know to go with them to learn i started geeking out into all the fishing aspects you know different reels okay different hey rods. remember this is a heavy podcast and yeah I, I know i know i know just just kind of like uh you, you know me you know i you, you pick on a subject and i just go on go on and on and on but um but it was just something that you know to to do in the meantime and to uh uh, you know, that was a little bit less, less expensive. And then I can go back into the hobby in full force. So basically that was, that was all there is to it. I mean, it's not, uh, it's just kind of like an interim solution so that I can go back full force into, into the hobby. But, um, but I do plan to, to, uh, to actually sim. I, um, 
my son wanted a, a, a new gaming computer and a friend of his um, gift him, gifted him a VR headset for his birthday. So I took away the one from the PlayStation 4 and I and I actually made it work on the computer. Yeah. So now I'm 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 able to do VR simming. So um so I'm I'm still you know um, taking a break but not fully taking a break, just uh, throttling down. A yeah bit. yeah yeah. And like and I'm just giving I'm just giving you a hard time. I, I mean I have so many friends that love fishing and that's all they do is fish all the time. Um I mean it's it, you know it, to each their own. I just I never got hooked on it. And I've been around boats all my life. I just never really for some reason developed an interest in it, but. Um, no, I mean, good for you. Yeah. But like, like I said, a lot, a lot of my friends actually love to fish. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's something, it's something different. And, um, I do feel like it's going to be kind of like most people that are in the heli hobby do when they start flying planes, you know, that they go get bored pretty quickly. And, um, <laughs> so I think that it's going to be something like that. Um, and you know that's why I wanted to pick something that was not terribly expensive, so that I don't turn around and say, "Oh, oh my gosh, I've made this big investment into a hobby that I ended up just growing out of pretty quickly." Yeah. So, um, so that's why I wanted to pick something that was relatively inexpensive, and I'm not go, you know, full force into it. You know, I just have like uh, very few equipment, and and that's it. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I do, I, I do think it's gonna be temporary but uh but yeah it's it was it, you know it's always fun to learn something but you know what we were talking about a little bit ago is is that's exactly what it was like i think we all need a different hobby in addition to the helicopter hobby there's there's mm-hmm. no question that this is something that if that it, it revitalizes you it makes you want to fly again it really does it's like it takes your brain elsewhere and it gives you that ability to enjoy that other hobby, and then you start to miss the helicopters. At least, at least it's been the case for me. I don't know that that works for everybody else, but it works for me every time. Every time. Yeah, yeah, and and to be honest, I I miss it already. Um, you know, I'm I'm looking at my helis right now, and you know, as I was talking about the 420, and I just want to buy that ESC and get this thing out, but uh, but I I wanna I wanna just you know focus on on my plan. <laughs> that I had, I want to make sure that everything's back to, to where it should be before I go back again. And, you know, um, I'm dying to go to events, you know, I've, um, I've seen the dates of the new ones and I'll probably go to the ones at the end of the summer. Um, because you know, they're just, they're just awesome. Do you have a lot of events up in your area though? Uh, more or less, um, I have, uh, you know, the one of course of my field, uh, there's a couple that I go in Illinois, um, and a couple more in Wisconsin, and of course, Urcha, but probably I won't go to Urcha this year. But um, but yeah, usually about five or six through the season. Mm-hmm. Well, that's 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 not bad. That's pretty good. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. So Alrighty. I think we're ready to start wrapping up. Oh, you think so? Oh, there's yes. so many good stories. No, 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 I think are... I think we actually have to make another another podcast because I think that we diverted too much into fishing. So uh, <laughs> we need to we need to do we need to do a um, how about you know uh, Bert we uh, we should talk to you again and and do actually what I what I said we would be doing today, <laughs> which is you know talk about the good old stories about you know what happened at uh, at many many events that you've been to that are usually fun to listen to you know reminisce with you about all of that that happened but of course that'll take you if we start through that path that'll take you that'll take us at least two more hours 
I think what we what we need to do is have Bert and Bobby come come back to do a show with us together, so we can really pick the things that they, that happen. Like I I've heard the stories about you guys when you guys went to Australia. I've heard those; those are hilarious, you know. Or trying to fly in a in a um, cruiser in a cruise boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a, listen. There's a lot of stories. Uh, stories from Australia and Switzerland and everywhere. Like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of cool stories for sure. A lot of funny stuff, no doubt. All right, yeah, we got to call it segment with Bert and Bobby. That's what we're gonna do. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. Sounds good to me. All right, do the outro, uh, Javier. All righty. So, uh, well, uh, Bert, uh, first of all, thank you very much for being with us today. Uh, it was it was really a fun a fun ride. It's uh, it's always cool to you know uh, to talk over with you. Uh, last time we also had a really good time, I think, and uh, this was this was another good time with you. Just shooting the shit and you know just talking about stuff about the hobby, which is also also always awesome. So, thank you very much, Bert, for uh, joining us in one more episode of. Uh, of skits up and uh, for sure we'll talk about yeah no thank time. thank you guys it's been it's been a pleasure thanks thanks really thank you for having me no it's our pleasure thank you so much for coming in man i know that you're you're a busy guy so we really appreciate your time and uh, i was waiting for a while to get you on the podcast so i'm glad that i was able to yep thank you frank thank yeah. you guys for sure yeah, thanks a lot. And I and, and I thank you for doing what you do because uh you guys are uh you you guys are the right the the type of people we need more of in the hobby for sure. To try to keep growing the hobby and promoting the hobby and uh yeah, that's that's a really cool thing you guys do. So I I've done the podcast, I've been there done that. And I just it's a lot of work. So I I thank you guys for doing that and committing to it. Yeah, thanks Bert. All right, so um, I guess that's it for today's episode, and uh, until next time. Bye.